Hey everyone, and welcome to the Annex Tuesday Night Podcast. The Annex is a community seeking to discover and live life in Jesus. And we hope that this message will help you do just that. If you like what you hear, you can always subscribe. So these messages come right to your phone each week. And you can always check us out at theannexboulder.com or on our Instagram account at theannex.boulder. Enjoy today's message. Good evening. Welcome to the Annex tonight. Really glad that you're here. Uh, my name is Dave Palmer. If this is your first time with us at the Annex, we are grateful that you have uh, taken, taken an hour or two out of your night to be with us and, and uh, also had the courage to walk into a room that you're not familiar with, with probably a lot of people you're not familiar with. And there's opportunity for you to connect with us um, afterwards um, if you want to get to know a little bit more about us. Um, my, like I said, I'm Dave. Um, last week, um, we got to hear uh, Kelsey Johnson, our new assistant director. And if you were here last week, um, what an awesome Tuesday night it was. At least I thought. I was just like, geez, this is one of my favorite annexes ever. And um, isn't it so awesome to have Kelsey on our team, right? I mean, amen, right? Yeah. Um, it's, uh, so anyway, what an answer to prayer. We're doing this uh, seven-week conversation uh, in kind of Christian culture. We call them series where, like, when you show up to, a, like, Sunday or a Tuesday night, there's like a continuous sort of theme that works through um, whatever, so series, I guess, works. But um, the idea is that in seven weeks, we are looking at the life of Jesus, the, um, the, the, the accounts that his disciples, the people that f- literally followed him around and learned from his life and his teachings, um, recorded for us so that we would believe as they believed because they were so convinced by the end of his life, his death and his resurrection, that Jesus was not just a good Jewish teacher that said a lot of um, wild things, but that he was actually um, the Messiah, God incarnate, that God was face to face with us um, in the person of Jesus, and that we can know and have life in God through Jesus Christ, and because of his life, death, and resurrection. Now, if you're hearing this maybe for the first time, or you're kind of on the edge about Christianity, all of those claims are absolutely ridiculous. Really, like, it defies logic, and even as you read the Gospels, um, you will find that his, his closest followers all had a really hard time um, believing actually what they were seeing in ways, but they saw it and they could not deny it, and that is actually um, really the birthplace and the genesis of why we're here tonight, um, is, is that these um, men and women um, um, saw something that was so um, true um, that pointed to something so radical that would, um, that, that would lead us to this moment. Tonight we're going to talk about something um, very specific about the life of Jesus. Tonight we're going to talk about what Jesus believed about women, what Jesus believed and still believes about women. And that will actually have a profound impact on us if we are going to be people that seek to have life in Jesus and live the Jesus life. Um, it turns out that um, about half of the population of planet Earth um, are, are made up of females, and um, most of the people in this room are actually female, um, as it turns out, which is great, and I'm, I'm grateful for that. Turns out men don't usually tr- uh, turn up to church stuff, because we're so busy with our fantasy leagues, but um, we're grateful for those um, gentlemen that decided to show up. Here's the deal. In the first century, in Jesus' context, it was a well-known, established um, fact for that, in that context. This is what people believe, that women were inferior to men. Women were believed to be inferior to men. 
The, the first great Western thinkers, Greek philosophers, um, wrote down very carefully why and how they believed that women were inferior to men. In Jesus' world, he was, um, he was a, a, a Jewish man. He was um, born a Jew, and that's actually a very important part of understanding um, the way that God is working through Jesus. But in Jesus' um, context, in the Jewish world, um, Jews also believed that women were inferior um, to men. A, a woman had no legal standing or right. Um, they, they could not represent themselves in a court of law. In fact, a, a woman's testimony actually wasn't even valid. Like, you, if you were a woman, you couldn't walk into court and testify about something because um, just by virtue of the fact that you're female, um, you, what you had to say um, wouldn't stand um, as being true or accurate. You had no authority, actually, um, in the world. You were represented by a man. If you were in the household still that you grew up in, you were under the authority of your father. Um, if your father died and you didn't get married, then you were under the authority of, of the, 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 your oldest brother. And if you got married, then you were under the authority of your husband. And so you, as a woman, you were always under a man um, in terms of legal standing, in terms of authority, in terms of influence, in terms of provision. And without uh, uh, that sort of relationship, you really had no um, coverage or shelter in the world, totally exposed. Um, women, uh, if you were a Jewish woman and you were um, um, diligent to worship with the community of believers, worship God together, um, your experience um, at, at the synagogue or at church was very different. You had to go sit. You had, there was literally a wall dividing between the men and the women. And the men had a very intimate and um, specific experience that was really actually more spiritual in a lot of ways. And women could listen to the teaching, but on the other side in their own sort of like um, segregated area. This is the world that Jesus lived in. Um, and, uh, and this is the world that Jesus, uh, that, that, that Jesus uh, acted out, this very radical new way of uh, approaching. Uh, I, I'll finish this um, summary of uh, trying to understand the, the context of, of, of women and, and the, way that, um, or the world that Jesus lived in. Um, a traditional prayer, a Jewish prayer, that a, a very righteous Jewish man would have prayed out of the Talmud, which was in a really important document that helps um, um, uh, Jewish people live out their faith uh, faithfully, would have uh, gone like this. Blessed are you, Lord, O God, ruler of the universe, who has not created me a woman. That pretty much sums it up. Jewish men were so convinced that women were inferior that they were brazen enough to pray every day, God, you are so great because you did not make me a woman. Enter Jesus. Enter Jesus. Jesus says very little specifically about women, but Jesus says so much about women by the way he acts towards them. This is in Mark 5. Um, there, I'm going to go through a few vignettes tonight, a few windows into the world through the life of Jesus and the way he interacted with women to paint the picture of what Jesus believed about women. In Mark 5, um, Mark records this um, really remarkable encounter. There's this man, a, a, a synagogue president. He was the most influential man in his synagogue, his local Jewish church. Uh, if you're a Jew, you'd probably be blasphemous. You'd just like, that's not a... Just, but that's a con, trying to create a picture, okay? So the local church, he's like the head dude. And he comes to Jesus and he's like, Jesus, I'm desperate. My daughter is dying right now. You have to come and you have to heal her. And Jesus says, sure. So Jesus is walking with this guy Jairus to heal Jairus' daughter, this very important man. And the whole community knows Jairus is a big deal. And at the same time, people are pressing in on Jesus because Jesus is healing people and they want to be near him. Well, there is this woman 
And she has been bleeding for 12 years. She has not stopped menstruating for 12 years. Now, I am not a female. I do not know what that experience is like, but that sounds very difficult. Kelsey sent me an essay that said men can, and the title of the essay goes like this. It it was like, it's an essay to men from women, and it goes, um, hey men, women can do everything you can do while bleeding at the same time. And quite literally, unfortunately, this woman, and this is, like, it sounds funny, but this is a terrible thing to be a Jewish woman who continuously bleeds, because in that, in their understanding, a part of um, being connected to the religious community is to be ceremonially, ceremonially, well, whatever, you heard, yeah. You've got to be pure, religiously pure, right? And there's all of these, like, procedures that you go through, and you can find those procedures if you read Leviticus. And part of that procedure is purifying yourself after you've menstruated as a woman. During your menstruation, you are not allowed to touch people who are clean or enter a sacred space. So this woman has literally been ostracized probably from a lot of people and the religious community for 12 years. And she is desperate. It says, Mark says that, he, that she has spent all of her money on doctors that did no good. She literally has nothing left. And so this desperate, unclean, outcast woman in the crowd thinks, this is my chance. If I could just touch him, he won't even know it. If I just touch him, I'll be healed. And she does. She touches him. And Jesus feels, it says, Jesus felt the power go out from him as she was healed. And she knew she was healed. And Jesus stops and he says to his disciples who are right around him, maybe they're kind of playing bodyguard, I don't know. He says, who just touched me? And they're literally like, Bro, are you serious? We're in a mosh pit right now. We have no idea who just touched you. A lot of people have touched you. Who touched me? And at that moment, this woman knows she's been found out. She has just desecrated and made Jesus unclean on his way to the house of Jairus, who is a clean man in a difficult situation, and she has messed everything up. Now Jesus is unclean, which means all of Jairus's house is going to be unclean, and everyone is going to be upset and mad at this woman, perhaps even worse. And so she comes and she trembles. It says she literally is trembling on her knees at the feet of Jesus. And this is what he says to her. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Everyone is expecting Jesus to call this woman out for who she is, subhuman, and she just ruined the day for Jesus and everyone there. Instead, he calls her daughter and blesses her and heals her and sends her out for whole living. To Jesus, this woman is a valuable human with the same dignity and worth as Jairus. John 4. Jesus is walking through uh, this, this, this uh, land, this, uh, well, it was, I guess it was basically a country called Samaria, a, a region. And, and Samaria is populated by Samaritans. And Jews do not like Samaritans because they're the worst kind of people. They are half Jews and half um, other people. And so it's like, it's, it's a little bit like, you know, an in-state rivalry, like CSU-CU. It's the worst sort of deal. How could you possibly choose CSU when CU was an option? Do you know what I'm saying? 
Or maybe it wasn't an option, if you know what I'm saying. But whatever. Okay, so it's like the worst. Like your crosstown rival, you hate them more than anyone else. And that's the same sort of vibe here, except it goes so deep, so deep for the Jewish people and for the Samaritan people. They do not like each other. Anyway, so here's the scene. Jesus is cruising through. It's the middle of the day. It's blasty hot outside. It's in the 90s, you know, and he's thirsty. And they're walking. They don't have cars. There's no public transportation. You're walking. Okay, Jesus is sitting down next to a well. Why? Well, when you're thirsty, the well's the place to be. But the problem is that Jesus doesn't have a bucket, okay? So he's just sitting here at the well while his disciples are getting food for everybody through local takeout. And uh, in the middle of the day walks this woman, this Samaritan woman. And Jesus asked this Samaritan woman for some water because she's got a bucket. Now, here's another thing you got to understand about what it means to be a man and a woman in the first century as a Jew. If you were a man, you did not speak to women in public. That would have been an inherently shameful thing. You only spoke to your mother, your wife, and your daughters, people that were related to you, but you would never speak to a female stranger in public. That would be a shameful taboo act. And so here is Jesus speaking to a female in broad daylight. And this woman says to him what, what any woman in that context would have said. Why the heck are you talking to me right now? And Jesus says, if you knew who I was, if you knew that I was unveiled, if you knew that I was the Messiah, the Son of God, you would ask me for water, and I would give you real living water. She doesn't, I mean, what, like, even if Jesus walked in the room and said that to you, would you know what that means? I wouldn't. Like, wow, that's cool, but I don't know what you're talking about. Well, Jesus gets into it with this woman, and it's probably uncomfortable, but perhaps exhilarating, because on one hand, he's, he's, in, he's treading in territory she's not comfortable with, but apparently he is. And he gets into her personal life. And maybe if you've grown up in the church, you've heard this, this, this story before, this narrative of Jesus. And the way that it goes is Jesus asks about her personal life. And it, it, it comes out in the conversation that this woman has been married five times. Five times. And the man that she's living with is not actually her husband. You, know, you, you don't need to know kind of first century relationships to know that that feels like a very inherently shameful thing. Right? And the way that we filter that would immediately be like, talk about a relational failure. If you can't make it work once out of five husbands, you must be a real deadbeat. And then to be with a guy you're not even married with? Like, really? But here's the deal. This is what we can't see from our vantage point. Or we could see, but it's difficult to see. If you were a woman in the first century, you would be absolutely nuts, especially a woman without means and a family to take care of you. You would be absolutely nuts to divorce a husband. Because you, you have nothing in life if you are not married to a man. And so the idea that this woman was some sort of relational failure and got kicked to the curb five times and it was all of her fault and she was this kind of, uh, to put it candidly, this slut, feels like a, a very totally inaccurate way of understanding this woman. Most likely what has happened is this woman has been kicked to the curb five times by men who saw her as disposable. Perhaps, and this, is, this would be my best guess, perhaps they were attracted to her, but when they, try, when, when, when they tried to start a family, she couldn't have kids. 
And so what was the point? And so she was divorced. And after five divorces, her best option was to live with a man she wasn't married to. And here's Jesus, face to face with her. And do you know where he takes the conversation? He does not shame her, but in fact, he reveals to this Samaritan woman in this very taboo moment that he is the son of God, the savior of the world, and that he offered her life through him. Before all the other people, she gets to hear about the good news of Jesus Christ. Well, we might write these uh, instances off as sort of these like one-off special cases. You know, like, well, Jesus, I mean, yeah, that's like, a, you know, that makes, I guess that works. You know, but what about Jesus regulars, right? Didn't he just hang out with a bunch of dudes? Wasn't it just sort of like a religious bro fest around Jesus? It is true. Jesus' 12 closest disciples, his 12 closest followers, were all male. It would have been literally impossible for Jesus to have had close disciples, people that could learn from him and literally go everywhere with him, if they were not male. Because being a, being a religious teacher in the Jewish community was literally being a part of a boys' club. And, uh, and, and so uh, Jesus, I believe, in some ways was really limited in the way that he was able to call people. There were 12 followers, 12 disciples that we hear about in the Bible, but there were so many more disciples of Jesus besides the 12. There were crowds that would follow him, and some of those followers were women. This is Luke 8. This is straight out of the Bible. Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God, The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil diseases and spirits. There was Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household. Now, Herod is um, one of the most powerful people in in Jesus' uh, Jesus' world. So this woman was connected probably to some significant cash. Susanna, and I don't know who she is, and many others. And this is, what, this is what Luke says. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. Jesus not only had his 12, his 12 men, but he actually had a cohort of women that literally followed him around because he was cool with it. He wanted them to be with him. And not only that, these women were bankrolling Jesus. So if Jesus has some sort of beef, right, that women are inferior to men, then he is a massive hypocrite. hypocrite. Luke 10, this is a couple chapters later in Luke's account of the gospel. Um, there's two women in particular that come up quite a bit. They were a close, intimate with Jesus. Probably the closest people to Jesus while he was here on earth were these two women, Mary and Martha, and they were siblings. And there is uh, an account in Luke 10 where um, all of the, 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 the close uh, followers of Jesus are in their house. And they're in their house. And Mar- Martha is doing what women in the first century were expected to do. When people come over, the women take care of the household issues. They prepare the meal and everything in the hospitality. And the men just put their feet up and have a few beers. But here's what happens. Is Mary isn't in the kitchen with Martha. And maybe if you've grown up in the church before, you've heard this sermon, right? It's like, and the whole sermon is about busyness. How many people have heard a busyness sermon about Mary and Martha? Okay, a few people, great. Thanks for being honest, right? 
And so we read this, and so if you're one of those people that raised your hand, you read this story about Jesus, because what happens is Jesus goes, Martha comes out to Jesus, and it's like, yo, Jesus, like, help a sister out. You know, I'm trying to bake these casseroles, and you guys are out drinking beers. Well, not really. Well, maybe they are. I don't know. They probably actually were drinking wine. That's what most people drank in the first century, because it was more potable than water. But anyway, they're, they're, they're hanging out. But Mary's with them, and Martha's sweating it out in the kitchen, and so she's upset at Jesus. Jesus, tell Mary to help me out. You know, they're sisters. Like, talk, like, talk about sisters, like, or siblings, like the passive-aggressive fight through somebody else. Um, whatever. So that happens. And then we hear a sermon about how, like, busyness. Don't be so busy that you can't hang out with Jesus. But here is what is most alarming to any person in the first century about this narrative. The most alarming thing is not that Martha was upset or that Mary was, was, or she was too busy. That's not alarming at all. What is alarming is that the text literally says that Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to his teachings. This is in Luke 10. Mary is literally sitting at the feet of Jesus with all of the other guys as a disciple of Jesus. That might not sound too wild to you, but any other rabbi would have had the women be in the other room if they wanted to hear. And Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. The most important moment in all of the Gospels and I think, that, uh, I think that the New Testament writers would agree on this. The most important moment in all the Gospels is the resurrection of Jesus. When Jesus died, everyone expected Jesus to do what dead people do, which is to stay dead. And despite the fact that Jesus told his closest followers three times, I'm going to die and then I'm going to resurrect again to life, nobody believed him because that is lunacy. Who were the first people to see Jesus after the resurrection? the most critical moment in all of the gospel. It wasn't closest, the closest bros in Jesus' you know, tribe. It was the closest women. And it was their testimony. It was their testimony that Jesus had been resurrected, that got all of the chicken dudes in Jesus' um, posse to unlock their doors and come outside because they were so afraid of being a follower of Jesus at that point. And it was their testimony of, of the resurrected Christ that has literally changed the world. See, in all of the way that Jesus acted, Jesus treated women as equal humans with value and dignity. He treated women as equal humans, full human, not mostly human, but all the way human, with equal dignity and value. And that was wildly, wildly countercultural in the first century. And unfortunately, that is true about our context today as well. I want to, before I launch into this next part, I want to recognize that as a white male speaking about inequality between men and women, um, is, it has an inherently uh, precarious situation here. Um, I do not know what it's like to be female. I do not know what it's like to be female, to be marginalized in different ways. Um, so, I, and, and I have, uh, I have perpetuated that. I've made my own mistakes. Um, I've been uh, passive and active in the way that that's been perpetuated. But it's my conviction after reading Jesus, learning more about Jesus, learning more about what it's like to be female in the 21st century, 
being a husband to an amazing wife and a expecting father of a daughter in October, it is my conviction that it is not okay. Women today are treated as an inferior human in our world, and that is a fact. Let me demonstrate that to you right now. In the world today, only 16.5 of the heads of state, the rulers of countries, are females. Everyone else, males. In this nation, our country, just think, think about this. I know you know this fact, but think about this. The country that believes that we represent um, the nation that has stood up for the equality of humans and human rights more than any other nation in the history of time has never once elected a head of state who was not a woman. In the last election cycle, when um, people commented about the, the, the one female candidate that was the first female candidate, from my knowledge, to be nominated as um, a, a, a representative of their party, the criticism was, uh, was ultimately about the fact that her delivery um, was, was shrill. It was, in, in essence, she was too female. In the U.S., women hold more secondary and tertiary degrees than males. They work more hours on average than males, and they get paid less than males. Let me say that again. More degrees, more hours, get paid less. In America, 90% of rape victims are female. 90% are female. In universities in America today, one in five women will be sexually assaulted. I do not know what it's like to be female. But it seems pretty clear by the reality of the way things are that women are not as financially valuable as men. Women are not as intellectually valuable as men. Women are not as sexually valuable as men. In short, they are not as human as men. See, men, you know, will call a woman a slut because of the way that she dresses. But then we won't give them uh, the same attention to a woman who dresses modestly, will we? We'll use the phrase, bro before, bros before hoes. Bros before hoes, dude, right? And when we say that, and it sounds funny, but when we say that, we call an, enti- an entire gender, um, we, we make a, a sexual um, moral judgment on an entire gender. And then we say, it's just locker room talk. We're, we're not being serious. It's just locker room talk. Just take it easy. In Christian culture, it's not much different. Think about sexual shame in Christian culture. If you've grown up in the church, if you've grown up in the church and a man makes an error sexually, how often is that sexual error connected to the woman and it her being her fault? Well, if she were, wasn't wearing what she was wearing or, you know, if she wasn't so, you know, I don't know, drunk on a Friday night, then maybe we wouldn't have done that. Or, you know, she just has this thing and whatever. This highlights, uh, perhaps to me, the epitome of the way that women are devalued as humans in um, Christian culture. 
there is a, uh, a blog, and this, this actually melted the internet for a while, so maybe you were familiar with this on Facebook, but there's a blog, and this woman writes this blog. I don't know much about the blog except for this one article, and it's called the Transformed Wife um, blog, and she wrote an article headlined, Men Prefer Debt-Free Virgins Without Tattoos, as if to say, if you want to be uh, happily married to a Christian man, you better up all of the, the, the issues that, that are already working against you, the headwind that are, is already working against you in order to be seen as desirable as a female. But this is what Jesus communicated in his real action. Not in theory. Jesus did not get up and give some great speech about female equality. Jesus simply lived it in the way that he treated women. He says to women, women, you are fully human, dignified in every way. Being a woman is not a shameful thing. It is a godly thing. When he looks in the eyes of the woman who had just been healed, this unclean, outcast woman on her knees in fear and trembling of Jesus' power as a man in the first century with great influence, he calls her daughter. My child, the one that I created, Go with me on a journey. What if the annex, what if the annex were a place that actually lived out what is true about women? Where women's intelligence, their bodies, their gifts, their sexuality, their wisdom, and their leadership were valued the same as men. Could you imagine how attractive this community would be to the rest of the world? A community where women don't have to feel like they need to grab the attention of a man by how they dress. And we're, we're, we're men, where we notice women because of many more things besides outward appearance. A community where women can be treated with fitting dignity and value. A community where we can all care to listen to each other, to understand what it's like to be the other gender first, rather than assuming well, cultural norms, oh, this is just political stuff. A community where we think about the words that we say about women and to women. If we want to be people, if we want to be people that share the beliefs and the life of Jesus, we need to live the truth that women are fully human, dignified, and valuable in our beliefs, in our actions, and our words. Amen. Um, I've asked Kelsey Johnson um, to close our talk time in prayer. Bow your heads, and we'll pray together. Jesus, we all come before you now. And Lord, we thank you for how it is that you have taught us how to treat women, for how it is that you have taught us to treat one another. Your greatest command is to love God and love one another. So Lord, would we be a community that does just that? Lord, in every way, all in this room, women and men included, would we be aware 
of how it is that we speak to one another, that how it is that we speak to men and to women, and how it is that we treat one another in this community. Lord, we know that words hold a lot of weight. So, Lord, would we speak in love and kindness and mercy and your grace. Lord, again, we thank you for your life. We thank you for how you have modeled for us to live. And it is in your holy and your precious name that we pray. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Don't forget to subscribe and we'll see you back here next week.